Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to For Fuck's Sake, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, my co-host is Ellen, and as you may have noticed, we have a shiny new name. For Fuck's Sake was brilliantly suggested by our keeper and patron, Max Nash, and it seems like nearly everyone else agreed on its genius. Thank you so much to everyone who voted. We really appreciate your support during this transition, because it's been one. Oh boy. The majority of our social media accounts have been switched over to our new name, as well as our Patreon, Podbean, email, and website. We're also in the process of making new social media accounts with the old name, so anyone who searches for us under that name can still find us. Please bear with us as we navigate our way through this. Some things seem to take longer to switch over than others, and it's also entirely possible that we may miss something. But we are so happy to be moving forward with our new name. And speaking of moving forward, since we have a thing for alliteration, we will no longer be referring to the next section as the rehash. They will henceforth be called the Phoenix Flashbacks. Woohoo! Last week, we covered the first half of Chapter 15, the Hogwarts High Inquisitor, and the predominantly corresponding film scenes. Mm -hmm. The Daily Prophet article Percy warned of is everything he promised and then some. Harry does his best to hold back the snark, but almost explodes from the effort. Hermione finds a teacher who dislikes her know-it-allness even more than Snape does. The twins play magic hacky sack in the courtyard before a certain blush bitch sucks up their sack with her wand. Ron gets a smack to the back of his head for doing exactly what everyone else was doing quieter. Umbridge has a hard-on for power and day one of teacher observations leads to some major second-hand embarrassment. During episode 144, Extremelined, our Potter pondering was, what are your thoughts on how the movie montaged all the teacher inspections? Hello, it is the support badger Carly here. I'm calling in my Potter pondering this week on whether or not I liked or how I felt about the montage involving the teachers. So, obviously we all hate the Pepto Bitch Mall. But that scene, I thought, did a really good job identifying all the things that she did wrong, all the things that people do wrong in education when they are evaluating somebody. Specifically, teachers, when they get evaluated, often get evaluated by people like her. So I thought it did a good job highlighting how Umbridge focuses on the negative and not the positive, which is not what you're supposed to do in education and how ill-equipped she was to be in the field she was in at all. So there's that. Speaking from an educator's mind, I don't think that she did anything good, but I think that that specific scene was very good at highlighting how she did so much bad just by doing those evaluations. Yep, that's all I got. See you guys later. 
Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is Ashley with this week's Potter Pondering. What do I think about the um bitch montage? And though you guys probably weren't expecting me because obviously after listening to the episode, y'all hate it. It's kind of one of my favorite parts of the movie with Order of the Phoenix being the shortest movie, but one of the longest books. Cringe. We kind of got to take what we can get. And, you know, it's just kind of classic to me. It was really funny. Professor Umbridge bouncing around with her little dusty pink outfits and them crusty-ass baby slippers to that, oh, we're going to put evil undertones on this jovial music-ass shit. And then her doing that little bouncy jig dance next to Flitwick before she whips out her little magical tape measure to measure my guy. Like, why? Why? It's funny. It's stupid. Then obviously the iconic Snape scene and then he just pops the shit out of one of the kids and back to head. It's just cool. It's cool. You know, we on book five at this point. We take what we can get. At least I know I can. I gotta have something positive to say about this shit. So this is it. Yeah, might be the only positive thing I have to say, but this is one of my favorite scenes from the movie. Hey guys, this week's Potter Pondering from yours truly. What do I think of how the movie montaged the educational degrees and the high inquisitor stuff? Well, I guess for the movie, it looked good. It looked funny. But nah, I would have wanted much more detail. You know, I would have wanted to see details of all the degrees, what the powers of the high inquisitor are, all those things. Yep, that's what I think. Hey, Ellen. Hey, Katie. I'm calling in the Potter Pondering for this week. What I think about the montage of Umbridge in the classrooms. Like, I don't hate it. I think it's funny for the most part, especially her and Snape. She's obviously a total bitch to Flitwick. But I don't hate it. It's funny. It's fine. It shortens what parts were super long in the book, and that's totally fine. Obviously, they have to cut down on some stuff, but... This just goes back to the scene with her and McGonagall on the stairs. Because the way McGonagall treated Umbridge in her classroom was so good. That's the part I'm mad about, about the montage, is that they totally changed the way her and Minerva interact. But otherwise, I'm totally fine with it. I think it was funny for the most part. That's actually all I have to say about this. For once, it's short. Bye! Thank you so much for your responses. Our trivia question last week was, what is Harry's class working on vanishing in transfiguration when Professor Umbridge shows up to inspect Professor McGonagall? They're starting to work on vanishing mice, which are more challenging than the invertebrate snails. Congratulations goes to Sarah Baines Miller. Woohoo! It's Sarah. You have to do the shimmy for her. Oh, yeah. I hope you heard the difference. <laughs> I definitely saw the difference. Well, it's hard to miss. She swept in to steal the win from Megan, who was camping and experiencing some internet troubles. Happens to the best of us. Right. But at least Megan can take comfort in the fact that it wasn't Mike who beat her this time. Mm-hmm. The competition is getting fierce, though. I wonder who's going to win this week. We shall see. For now, let's dive into the second half of Chapter 15, The Hogwarts High Inquisitor, and 
the partially corresponding film scenes. Ish. Ish. Chapter 15, The Hogwarts High Inquisitor, Part 2. The cut on the back of Harry's hand barely heals, and by the next morning it starts bleeding again. He still refuses to give Umbridge any satisfaction and refrains from complaining during the detention. But the worst part is that just as George predicted, Angelina is furious with him. She corners him in the Great Hall and begins shouting so loudly that McGonagall intervenes, taking five points from Gryffindor for Angelina's racket, then another five points after she learns that Harry did not listen to her warning and lost his temper in Professor Umbridge's class again. He tries to argue that he's already being punished by her, but McGonagall says that the detentions don't seem to have any effect on him at all and tells him not another word. She also warns Angelina that she must confine her shouting to the Quidditch pitch or risk losing the team captaincy before striding away. Harry is fuming that he lost points because he has to slice his hand open every night. And though Ron says she's out of order, Hermione says nothing. Harry angrily asks if she thinks McGonagall was right, and Hermione explains that she wishes she hadn't taken the points away, but that she's right to warn him not to lose his temper with Umbridge. Harry doesn't speak to Hermione all through charms, but much of his anger fades when they arrive in Transfiguration and find Umbridge sitting in the corner with her clipboard. Pleased that Umbridge is about to get what she deserves, they take their seats and wait as McGonagall marches into the classroom and completely ignores the High Inquisitor. She says, that will do, and the class immediately falls silent so she can ask Seamus to hand back the homework and Lavender to take a box of mice to distribute one to each student. Umbridge clears her throat, but McGonagall still simply ignores her and continues addressing the class. As she begins to explain their lesson for the day, Umbridge clears her throat again, and this time McGonagall impatiently raises her eyebrows and asks, yes? Umbridge begins to ask if she received her note telling her the date and time of her inspection, but McGonagall cuts her off to say she obviously received it, or she would have asked her what she's doing in her classroom. She turns her back and attempts to continue teaching, but is again interrupted by Umbridge clearing her throat. McGonagall angrily turns back towards her and coldly asks her how she expects to gain an idea of her usual teaching methods if she continues to interrupt her, since she generally does not permit people to talk when she is talking. Umbridge looks as though she's been slapped in the face, but straightens her back and begins scribbling notes on her clipboard. McGonagall again turns her attention back to the class and tells them that they are moving on to practice the vanishing spell on mice, which is more difficult than the snail, and instructs them to begin working. Harry quietly asks Ron how she can lecture him about losing his temper with Umbridge, but he's also grinning. As everyone attempts to vanish their mice, McGonagall walks around the room to observe their progress, and Umbridge does not follow her around like she did with Trelawney. She takes more notes from the corner and doesn't bother to ask McGonagall any questions until after the bell rings and she tells them to pack their things away. The trio deliberately falls back as everyone files out of the classroom so they can listen in on the conversation and they hear Umbridge ask McGonagall how long she's been teaching at Hogwarts. 
McGonagall answers that it will be 39 years in December, and when Umbridge tells her that she will receive her results in 10 days' time, she indifferently responds that she can hardly wait. She notices Harry, Ron, and Hermione edging towards the door and tells them to hurry up, sweeping them out of the room before her. Harry gives her a faint smile and swears he receives one in return. Harry doesn't think he will have to see Professor Umbridge again until his detention, but it turns out she's also waiting in care of magical creatures to inspect Professor Grubblyplank. They arrive to hear her inquiring about not usually taking the class, and Grubblyplank responding that she is a substitute teacher standing in for Professor Hagrid. Umbridge drops her voice to mention that the headmaster is strangely reluctant to give her any information on the matter and asks if she knows what's causing Hagrid's extended leave of absence. Grubbly Blank answers that she can't. All she knows is that Dumbledore asked if she'd like a couple weeks of work and she accepted. She then gets class started, and this time Umbridge decides to walk among the students and ask them questions about magical creatures. Most of them are able to answer well, which lifts Harry's spirit since the class isn't letting Hagrid down. Umbridge then returns to Grubbly Plank and asks how she, as a temporary member of the staff, finds Hogwarts, specifically wondering if she feels like she gets enough support from the school management. Grubbly Plank calls Dumbledore excellent and says she's very happy with how things are run there, and Umbridge looks incredulous as she makes a tiny note on her clipboard. She then asks her what she plans to cover in class, assuming Hagrid doesn't return, and Grubbly Plank says that she plans to take them through the creatures that most often come up in OWL, though she does state that there isn't much to do since they already covered unicorns and nifflers, so she will have them go over porlocks and measles and make sure they can recognize crups and gnarls. Umbridge tells her that she seems to know what she's doing, placing an emphasis that Harry doesn't like. He likes it even less when she begins asking the class about the injuries that have occurred. Malfoy speaks up to tell her about being slashed by a hippogriff, and Harry adds on that it was only because he was too stupid to listen to what Hagrid told him to do. This earns him another night's detention, and then she thanks Professor Grubblyplank and tells her she will have her results in 10 days. It is nearly midnight when Harry leaves Umbridge's office that night. Bleeding so severely, he's staining the scarf he has wrapped around it. He expects the common room to be empty, but is pleased to see Ron and Hermione waiting up for him, especially since Hermione is sympathetic rather than critical. She passes him a bowl of a yellow liquid to soak his hand in, explaining that it's a solution of strained and pickled Mertlap tentacles and should help. Harry places his hand in the solution and feels immediate relief, as Crookshanks curls around his legs, then curls up in his lap, purring. He thanks Hermione, and Ron again tells Harry that he should complain about this. Harry flatly says no, and when Ron tries to argue that McGonagall would go nuts if she knew, Harry asks how long it would take for another decree to be passed that fires anyone who complains about the High Inquisitor. Ron can't think of a response, and Hermione quietly speaks up to call her an awful woman, saying that she was just telling Ron that they need to do something about her. Ron says he suggested poison, but Hermione clarifies that she means something about what a dreadful teacher she is and how they aren't going to learn any defense from her at all. Ron wants to know what they can do about that, and Hermione suggests that they try learning it themselves. 
Harry questions this, and Ron complains about the idea of doing extra work when they're already behind on homework. Hermione proclaims that this is more important than homework, which completely shocks Harry and Ron, who didn't think there was anything in the universe more important than homework. Hermione corrects them, pointing out that it's about preparing themselves for what's out there, like Harry said. Ron doesn't think they can do much by themselves, and Hermione agrees, saying they need a proper teacher. Harry thinks she's talking about Lupin, but Hermione says she isn't, especially since he's too busy with the order. When Harry asks who she means then, she explains that she means she thinks he should teach them defense against the dark arts. Harry stares at her and then turns to Ron to exchange an exasperated look with him, but is surprised to see that Ron is looking thoughtful at the idea. Harry starts grinning, thinking they are messing with him, but Hermione reminds him that he is the best in the year at Defense Against the Dark Arts and tells him to look at all of the different things he's done. Harry isn't sure what she means, and Ron jokes that he isn't sure he wants someone this stupid teaching him. He lists off saving the stone from you-know-who in first year, which Harry calls luck, killing the basilisk and destroying Riddle in second year, and Harry credits Fox, fighting off about a hundred Dementors at once in third year, which Harry calls a time-turner fluke. And when Ron mentions how Harry fought off you-know-who again, Harry angrily cuts him off, telling him that it sounds great when he says it like that, but it was all luck. Half the time, he didn't even know what he was doing, and he nearly always had help. Ron and Hermione keep smirking, and Harry feels his temper rise, not even sure why he's so angry as he tells them not to sit there grinning at him like they know better, saying he didn't get through it all because he's brilliant at defense against the dark arts, he just blundered through. He jumps up, dislodging Crookshanks and shattering the bowl of Mertlap essence, yelling at them to stop laughing. He shouts that they don't know what it's like. They've never had to face him and think it's just memorizing a bunch of spells. But there's nothing between them and dying except their own brain or guts or whatever. They're sitting there acting like he's some clever boy to be standing there alive, like Diggory was stupid, like he messed up and they just don't get it. It could have just as easily been him if Voldemort hadn't needed him. Ron looks aghast and immediately insists that they weren't having a go at Diggory. He looks at Hermione, who meekly explains that this is exactly why they need him. They need to know what it's really like facing him, facing Voldemort. Her use of Voldemort's name for the first time is what calms Harry more than anything else. He sinks back in the chair and wishes he had not smashed the bowl of Mertlap essence. Hermione quietly asks him to please think about it, and Harry nods, hardly aware of what he's agreeing to. She stands up trying to make her voice sound natural as she says night. Ron gets up too and asks if Harry is coming, but Harry says he will in a minute. He just wants to clear up the broken bowl. Ron nods and leaves and Harry casts Reparo at the broken pieces of China. They rejoin good as new, but nothing can return the Mertlap essence to the bowl. He wants to just sink into the armchair to sleep, but gets to his feet and follows Ron upstairs, falling into a restless night of sleep, punctuated by more dreams of long corridors and locked doors. When he wakes the next day, his scar is prickling. The scene then cuts to the corridor where what seems like the entire school is buzzing about some to-do as they walk through the halls. The camera focuses on Harry who finds Cho Chang and asks her what's going on. 
Cho explains that it's Trelawney, and the two follow the rest of the crowd out to the courtyard, where a distraught Trelawney is backing into a large trunk as Filch brings another one over to her and sets it down in front of her. Umbridge strides out of the castle towards her, and Trelawney tries to approach her but runs into the luggage. She makes her way around the suitcase and gasps out that she's been there 16 years, calling Hogwarts her home and saying she can't do this. Umbridge holds up a piece of paper and insists that she can. As Trelawney begins to whimper, McGonagall rushes through the crowd of students to comfort her. Umbridge asks McGonagall if there is something she would like to say. McGonagall informs her that there are several things she would like to say. But before she can say any of them, the doors open and Dumbledore dramatically pauses in the open doorway before striding into the courtyard himself and asking Professor McGonagall to escort Sybil back inside. She thanks him profusely as they walk past, and then Umbridge speaks up to begin to remind Dumbledore about Educational Decree Number 23. The headmaster cuts her off to tell her that she has the right to dismiss his teachers, but she does not have the authority to banish them from the grounds. Umbridge confidently tells him, For now. And Dumbledore glances around without responding, before turning to walk back into the castle, yelling at the students about having studying to do. They all begin chattering again and start making their own ways back into the castle, and Harry yells after Dumbledore and begins to run to push through the crowd to try and catch him. Though Dumbledore clearly hears Harry yelling for him, he doesn't acknowledge it beyond a very slight glance to the side as he just keeps on walking until Harry loses sight of him and stops in the entryway looking for Lorne. The scene shifts to Hermione pacing and ranting about how horrible Umbridge is to Ron and Harry in the Gryffindor common room. She says she is taking over the entire school, but pauses when a news report on the radio catches their attention. Harry turns towards the radio and increases the volume, just in time to hear that they have convincing evidence that the disappearances are the work of notorious mass murderer Sirius Black. Immediately after this declaration, there is a whooshing sound and a stage whisper calling Harry's name. They all look at the fireplace and see Sirius's head in the flames. Harry asks his godfather what he is doing there, and Sirius tells him that he's answering his letter. He mentioned Harry's concern over Umbridge and asked if she is training them to kill half-breeds. Harry explains that she isn't letting them use magic at all, but Sirius isn't the least bit surprised, since the latest intelligence is that Fudge doesn't want them trained in combat. Ron wonders if he thinks they are forming some sort of wizard army, and Sirius confirms that, saying that Fudge thinks Dumbledore is assembling his own forces to take on the Ministry, and is becoming more paranoid by the minute. Sirius continues speaking, telling them that the others wouldn't want him telling them this, but things aren't going well for the Order. Fudge is blocking the truth at every turn, and the disappearances are just how this started before. He says that Voldemort is on the move, and Harry asks what they can do. They are interrupted by the sound of footsteps, and Sirius says that he has to go, and he's sorry that he can't be more help before disappearing from the fireplace. Hermione moves to the window with Ron and Harry right behind her. With a loud thunderclap and a flash of light, she looks out at the rainy night and asks about him really being out there. Without waiting for an answer, she shakes her head and says that they've got to be able to defend themselves. If Umbridge refuses to teach them how, then they need someone who will. With another thunderclap, she turns around and looks right at Harry, who stares back at her in silence. The camera pans away from them both to the window and zooms out into the rainy darkness. So what's pretty amazing about this section is it actually corresponds really well to the book. Mm Mm-hmm. But just not this particular part of the book. I mean, why would it? That's silly. There are parts 
that do obviously line up. Sure. There are also parts that are just completely left out. Sure. And there are parts that are included, but from previous chapters. Sure. So yeah. Mm -hmm. All of this tracks. It does. You'd think we'd be used to it by now. I'm not saying we're not used to it. It's just... How many times have we said that, though? It's worth pointing it out. It is. Every time, I I mean, that's kind of the purpose of it, so... Right? Why else are we here? To have fun? Is that what it's supposed to be? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Good times. So this half of the book chapter starts out on Harry coming out of his detention. Mm -hmm. And the fact that his hand is, like, barely healed. Ew. Right. So this has been good. The next mm-hmm. morning, it's actually bleeding again. So now it's not even... It's not even healing. It's not even setting. He no. needs some of that powder that you can sprinkle on a wound to instant clot. Right. Or some of that new skin. Or, that... you know, fucking magic. Or that. Sure. But I mean, would it? maybe this is like magic impervious wounds. You know what? I could see that. That feels like a very unbrand for Umbridge. Yes. I'm with you on that one. Mm -hmm. I like it. Harry, of course, is still being very stubborn and refuses to complain about it. He does not want her to think she's getting to him at all. And I don't know who he thinks he's fooling with that. But hey. Right. Like, is she just sitting there going, does he have a pain kink? Right. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Hmm. I must try a different approach, I think. He seems to enjoy this. Hmm. Plot twist. Plot twist. <laughs> Harry's a masochist. Or is it a sadist? Which one is it? Um, Why not both? Why not both? Oh, man. We just got some more middle names to add, and I can't <laughs> even go through them all. Harry, James, Niffler, Meddling, S&M. Marie. Marie Potter. <laughs> there it is. But it stands to reason that he does have that kink because... It honestly says that the worst part of all of this is not getting your hand sliced open every night. It's the fact that Angelina's pissed at him. Counterpoint, I would rather get yelled at than have my hand sliced open. So You know what? Me too. But at the same time, I mean, he's already got the hand sliced open. Like, that's that's a given. It's going to happen. Why add to it with Angelina yelling at you, I suppose? But... And she full-on corners him in the Great Hall oh, and yeah. just starts screaming at him to the point that she attracts McGonagall's attention. Mm-hmm. Who, you know, swoops down and wants to know what the hell's going on. Mrs. Weasley's howler ain't got shit on Angelina Johnson. Not That's in this moment, no. <laughs> so McGonagall ends up taking five points away from Gryffindor for Angelina's behavior, but also wants to know why she's carrying on like that and when... She learns that Harry has landed himself another detention. She's just like, for fuck's sake, you didn't listen to me? <laughs> I see what you did there. I had to work it in somehow, right? You, you did a thing. And that's I what she said. did a thing. Ah. Ah. Welcome to it, guys. It starts. <laughs> but so she's mad at Harry now, too, because he completely ignored her warning. Mm-hmm. Like, you need to control your temper around Umbridge. And he didn't do it. No. So now he has more detentions. And to, again, add insult to injury, because that's just the theme of this episode, this chapter. I don't know. This book. This book. (laughs) This series. series. (laughs) (laughs) It is most definitely insult to injury, because she takes another five points away from Gryffindor just because he didn't listen to her. The straightforward approach didn't work, so... And that's exactly what she says to him when he tries to argue. He's just like, well, I already have detention from her. Why are you punishing me, too? Because you're not getting it through your fucking head, kid. Exactly what Professor McGonagall says. 
The detentions don't seem to have any effect on you. Bitch, look at my hand. But he has the pain kink, so... Maybe it's not having effect on Maybe. him. Maybe he wants those detentions. Maybe it's having a different effect on him that we will not talk about in this episode. Awkward boner. It's only awkward if you let it be. True. But anyway, McGonagall being McGonagall shuts his arguing down. Mm-hmm. Not another word. And then warns Angelina, like, you will not yell like this anywhere but on the Quidditch pitch. Like, you have my blessing to scream all you want on the Quidditch pitch. Right. If you do it off of there, you could lose captaincy. And then she just pieces out. Right. Like, mic drop, boom, gone. And then Angelina works out a way to, like, stand at the Quidditch pitch and just Akio Harry to her and yell at him there because she's allowed. I just feel like within every... Well, Harry's not going to make it to Quidditch practices this week, but she's just going to slide that comment in um, just so she can yell about it on the Quidditch pitch Mm -hmm. again. I'm still mad about this. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, Harry is now pissed because he lost points because he has to slice his hand open. Right. And it does seem funny to me that he does seem more mad about losing the points than anything else. So I think we're on to something here. I'm not saying pain kink, but I'm also not saying... Not pain kink. Not pain kink. <laughs> exactly. Plot twist. Doo-doo. <laughs> it kind of goes with everything, though. He's totally a meddler. He gets into shit. He mm-hmm. has that hero complex. It kind of all fits. It all... I mean, the puzzle is like this close to being figured out. That's yeah. That's all I'm saying. So anyway, he's pissed. Ron is being comforting and says she's bang out of order and Hermione just keeps her mouth shut. Which is saying everything that she needs to say. And Harry's just like, oh, I suppose that you think McGonagall was right. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's Caps Lock Harry, this book. Of course, he's going to like start yelling at his friends. But Hermione just like calmly explains that she wishes McGonagall hadn't taken points away. But she is right. Yeah, she. I mean, she makes a valid point. Yeah, Hermione can't not say I told you so. Yeah, <laughs> that's her kink. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's not even a theory. That's just no. fact. <laughs> That's canon. Not even head canon. I think everybody no. just knows that. Mm-hmm. But this particular I told you so causes Harry to not speak to her for the entirety of charms. I mean, I don't entirely not agree with him, but I also agree with Hermione. So I'm very torn. Right? I mean, Hermione is not wrong. No. Did she need to say it right then? Exactly. I mean, Harry's getting his hand sliced open. He lost points. And McGonagall's saying, I told you so. Do we need to pile the Hermione, I told you so, on top of there, too? Exactly. Apparently, she does. Apparently. But thankfully, for her sake, I guess, Harry's anger doesn't really last that much longer. It takes him through charms, but then they move on to transfiguration, and he can't even be mad at McGonagall anymore either, because when they show up in there, Pepto Bitchmall is sitting in the corner, waiting to take some notes. Mm-hmm. And they know that this is not going to go well for Umbridge. No. This is like the Michael Jackson with popcorn gif right now. Oh, this absolutely. All of them just getting their popcorn ready. And I can't even begin to describe to you how angry I am that we did not get movie version of this. Preaching in the choir. This is literally one of my lifelong regrets. Mm-hmm. The movie could have literally been nothing but this scene, and I would have preferred it. <laughs> like... This one and one other one that we'll talk about when we get there. I know you know what I mean. Oh, I know. It could have literally been like opening credits, this scene, the other scene, and credits. And I would have been like, best movie ever. 
I do want the conclusion, though. Well, yeah. But still, this is what we all deserved. Mm-hmm. And we got McGonagall stepping backwards down a step. And we're back on that. <laughs> oh, I'm not over that either. Why would you be? It's the opposite of what she does here. Yeah. I'm not arguing. That's true. McGonagall just marches into the room and just completely ignores the Pepto bitch mall in the corner. Are we not going to talk about the Pepto bitch mall in the corner? Talk about the Pepto bitch mall in the room. Talk about the big pink elephant. Exactly. There we go. And we're not. No. She's just going to start class. Everybody's just sort of like chitter chattering, probably because they know mm-hmm. exactly what's about to go down. Oh, they're waiting for it. Oh, man. They're taking bets. Like, how many minutes you think she's going to make it? Like, Why is this not a thing in the movies? Because they don't love us or want us to be happy. Ew, David. Ew, David, indeed. But anyway, all she has to do is say that will do. Mm-hmm. And the class falls silent. She then instructs Seamus to distribute the homework. And she tries to give Lavender a box of mice to give to each student. And she's, like, scared of the box. And she's just like, oh, don't be ridiculous and like shoves it at her. I just, you silly girl. Everything about this I just want to see. And this isn't even the good part yet. Mm-hmm. So Pepto Bitch Mall clears her throat. She does her little hem hem. Hem hem. Hem hem. And McGonagall just ignores her. Like you should. Like she should. And she does. And she just keeps on talking to the class. She starts to explain their lesson for the day. And Pepto Bitch Mall. Hem hem. Again. Mm-hmm. This time, McGonagall just turns and looks at her, gives her the eyebrow raise, and just says, yes. Mm-hmm. And Pepto Bitchmall says, I just wanted to know if you received my note telling you the date and time of the inspection. Bitch? Obviously. <laughs> and that's what she says. Obviously, I received it, or I would ask you what the fuck you're doing in my classroom. Yeah. Is this a serious question? She just likes the sound of her own voice. Oh, Absolutely. So McGonagall gives her the sassy response and then just goes right back to teaching because she doesn't need to fucking say anything else. Yeah. She just goes right back to teaching. And she says that they're going to move on to practicing the vanishing spell on mice, which is more difficult than the snail because snails are invertebrates and mm-hmm. mice have the bones and makes it more difficult. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. It's always harder when there's a bone involved. <laughs> anyway, they're going to start vanishing mice. Hey, that was our trivia question. It was. <laughs> The mice part, not the bone part. No. That was a bonus question. (laughs) (laughs) Not sorry. For fuck's sake. (laughs) I thought you were going to be the one saying that to me, Katie. (sighs) Anywho. (laughs) Harry turns to Ron and is just like, how the fuck can she lecture me about losing my temper with Umbridge? But he's also just like... (laughs) <laughs> keep doing it keep do doing some it. more do <laughs> some more lose more of your temper this right. is great this is great popcorn popcorn, popcorn. popcorn. <laughs> so then everybody starts trying to vanish their mice and mcgonagall just walks around and observes everyone and helps people when she needs to does the good teacher stuff yeah. and pepto bitch mall does not have the fucking balls to follow her around like she did Trelawney. She knows there is no way in hell she mm. is going to intimidate McGonagall. So she just stays in the corner and she takes her little notes and <laughs> doesn't even bother asking her any kind of questions. She is not going to. I would go as far as to say that she is the intimidated one in oh, this yeah. scenario. So she is not going to interrupt her teaching again. Yeah. And she just stays back and she takes her notes. And then when the bell rings and McGonagall tells everybody to Disperse, get the book out of my yeah. classroom... 
she actually then gets up and goes to ask her some questions. And because Harry, Ron, and Hermione have to meddle, they obviously like, we're making our way out of Transfiguration. And... Oh, look, my shoe's untied. Oh, my goodness. I have somehow been transfigured into a snail. (laughs) (laughs) And they just start slowly walking towards the door so they can overhear everything. Mm -hmm. And the main thing they hear her ask is how long McGonagall had been teaching at Hogwarts. Mm -hmm. To which she says it will be 39 years in December. And I know that this topic is a huge thing. Well, it's one of McGonagall's many timelines. Right. Many possible timelines. And she does have a ton of different timelines. But what I think is interesting about this is nowhere in here does it say consecutive. Exactly. 39 years. Also, the fact that in December marks the 39 years. That's mid-school year. It's mid-school year. It clearly shows that she started partway into a school year. And it kind of makes me feel like... She was maybe asked to fill in at some point, and yeah. maybe there is more inconsistency to her teaching career. She may have started as a sub, taught for a year, came and went here and there. Yeah. You know, who knows? Not that we're trying to bend the timeline to our will, but bendy, bendy. Bendy, bendy. <laughs> Welcome to the playground, Gumby. My so. whole thing with it is I genuinely feel like there is a way you could make it all work. Yeah. We don't have that information. Mm-mm. We all have things that we have speculated on from the little snippets we were given over the years. Yeah. And they do all seem to contradict. But I think there is a way to sew all of that information together into one timeline that still somehow makes sense. Because nothing in there gave any kind of dates. Mm-hmm. We guessed when her birthday might be based on the information we were given. Yeah. And I think that should the creator want to give us a specific backstory for her that makes all of this make sense. It's doable. Yeah. But I also don't think it matters all that much. And it was kind of fun to have her little cameo in Fantastic Beasts and I'm over it. I mean, are we ever going to be upset with more McGonagall in our lives? I don't Never. Think so. Especially not if she's played by Chanel Williams. Yes. But anyway, Pepto Bitch Mall tells her that she's going to get her results in 10 days time. And McGonagall is just like, sure. Can't wait. You're Great. Right. Awesome. Bated breath. Yep, gonna hold my breath. Mm-hmm. Actually, you should hold your breath. That'd right. be great. She also then notices that Harry, Ron, and Hermione are doing their snail impressions. Mm-hmm. And she's like, hurry the fuck up, guys. Mm-hmm. Like, I know what you're doing. You got it. Come on, let's go. And she just like ushers them out uh, of the yeah. room. And Harry just gives her the tiniest of little smiles and swears that she smiles back. I wouldn't be surprised if there was like a little hint of a wink. Just like a cheek twitch. Yeah. Just a little something. But anyway, they move on to Care of Magical Creatures class after Transfiguration. And Harry's convinced that he's done with Umbridge until detention that night. Oh, Harry, you silly little plum. Yeah, definitely silly because they show up at Care of Magical Creatures and there she is again. Guess who? Now she's inspecting Grubbly Plank. Mm-hmm. And when they get there, she's already there chatting with her, wants to know about how she doesn't usually teach this class. And Grubbly Plank's explaining that she's the substitute teacher standing in for Professor Hagrid. Mm-hmm. And Pepto Bitchmel uses this moment to like try and fish for information. Mm-hmm. She's just kind of like, so the headmaster, he won't tell me anything about Hagrid's absence. And I just wondered if you knew anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's my Umbridge impression. You like that? Impressive fishing. (laughs) That was very nice. 
So when Hagrid is where now? And he's doing what now? And he's going to be back when now? Is any of it a fireable offense? Yes. <laughs> Can we get him arrested? Him, him? And is this like a mental health break or something that we can actually, you know, can him for? Yeah. Just wondering. Asking for a friend. <laughs> that His friend is Fudge. Fudge. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Grubbly Plank says she doesn't actually know anything. She just knows that Dumbledore wanted to know if she'd work for a couple of weeks. And she's like, sure, why not? Mm-hmm. And that's about it. She's like, should I start class now? Like, did you actually want yeah. to observe me? Or were we just going to ask stupid questions that right. I can't answer? <laughs> and I like to believe that Grubbly Plank has thoughts like that because she's just an outwardly jovial person who's just like, oh, never you mind. And mm-hmm. couldn't tell you I just did this. And I just yep. feel like her thoughts are just the darkest, most sarcastic things ever. I really just want one person and preferably Grubbly Plank to be like, cunt says what? <laughs> what? Exactly. <laughs> I just want one person to do it. Just one person. Pink Twat says what? Bitch Mall says what? <laughs> <laughs> so, like I said, she starts class. And this time, because trying to fish for information out of a teacher that is not permanent is really not that useful. Right. So her method this time is to walk among the students and ask questions about magical creatures. And you know that she's just hoping they won't know a goddamn thing so she can mark Hagrid down for that. Because even though Hagrid's not there being observed, he's also somehow getting inspected. Yeah. She's taking all of his previous experience into account. Definitely. Like, she's looking for anything. Absolutely. And he's not even there yet. Right? She's already ready for this because half-breed. Well, we'll get more on that later. To Harry's absolute delight, pretty much everybody's able to answer these questions well, so they are not letting Hagrid down. And it also shows that we've been saying the whole time that Hagrid actually is a very good teacher. Mm Mm-hmm. So when that method doesn't work, Bitch Maul then returns to Grubbly Plank to want to know how she, as a temporary member of staff, finds Hogwarts. Wondering if she feels like she gets enough support from the school management. I mean, but Grubbly Plank was there before, too. This isn't her first rodeo. Right. So. But it was literally like, so what kind of dirt can you give me on Dumbledore? Mm -hmm. Quink, quink. Did you say quink, quink? I did. (laughs) (laughs) You want some cool whip? (laughs) Cool whip. (laughs) To make this moment even better, though. Just because any time that Bitch Maul doesn't get her way, I'm happy. Grubbly Plink says that Dumbledore is excellent and that she's very happy with how things are run there. And Umbridge just gives her this, like, the fuck you saying look and makes the teeniest little note. I just feel like in minuscule writing, she wrote, Grubbly Plank likes Dumbledore? Question mark. Or like, Grubbly Plank, colon, Dumbledore not bad? Grubbly Plank trustworthy? Question mark. <laughs> not ally? I just love to imagine what she actually wrote. It says tiny notes. Note to self, can I fire Grubbly Plank? <laughs> right. <laughs> but she moves on and asks her what she plans to cover in class, assuming Hagrid doesn't return. And Grubbly Plank says that she wants to take him through the creatures they need for the OWL, but even says that there's not much to do. Because Hagrid's a good teacher and already covered the majority of it. Mm-hmm. But she does want to cover Porlock's measles and make sure they can recognize Krups and Narwhals. Yeah. Other than that, Hagrid's pretty much got him well set up. And Umbridge says, well, you seem like you know what you're doing. Which makes Harry go, mm, All of us. Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> and then to make matters even worse, she moves on to the next way. 
that she can try and mark Hagrid down. Poor mm-hmm. Hagrid's not even there to defend himself. Right. And she starts asking about the injuries that have occurred in class, which I really want to stress that it was injury. Yeah. And because of the stupid flobberworm bite made up lie. Like, ugh. look, not only was it injury, but also Draco brought that shit on himself. And Harry tries to tell her that. Of course, he doesn't do that diplomatically, but that's like, well, you know, not Harry. Par for the course. He actually just bursts out and says that that's only because he was too stupid to listen to what Hagrid told him to do. <laughs> and he just gets himself another night's detention because maybe he needs five more points off too. Right. <laughs> Still not controlling his temper because he just doesn't learn. Mm-hmm. And then Pepto Bitch Mall thanks Professor Grubbly Plank. And says she'll have her results in 10 days. And, you know, Professor Grubbly Blank being all cheerio. Yep. Pip, pip, that's wonderful. <laughs> wow. That's just what I imagine her as. Grubbly Blank is a stereotype. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, well, we never got to see her, so I don't know what she's like, you know? Okay, and now, since you put that in my head, I have, like, an image of her just looking like Queen Elizabeth at this point. It's fine with me. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I don't know what that was, but it doesn't matter because all of this was streamlined right out of the movie because it's streamlining. Yeah. Yeah. We just got rid of all the teacher inspections for the most part because why? We got the measurement mm-hmm. and then the attack Trelawney. Yeah. And the moment of Snape. And the brief moment of Snape. Yeah. We do instead get a culmination of the montage, which actually takes a storyline from a later chapter, but... Still, honestly, ends the montage pretty well. Yeah, I can't be completely mad about it, even though I am kind of mad mad about about it. it. Yeah, (laughs) because we then join our hero in the corridor where all the students are a boil and a bubble over something. Harry spots Cho in the throng and asks, "What the fuck is going on?" As you do, Cho simply states that it's Trelawney with no other information at all. We then see a freaked out looking Trelawney standing in the courtyard as Filch places a suitcase in front of her, causing her to back up against a large trunk that is behind her. So she's just surrounded in suitcases yep. and trunks, basically. We're then joined by Pepto Bitchmall as she strides into the courtyard, stick firmly lodged in her rectum. Because where else would it be? I mean, so far up, it's practically coming out of her mouth. Right? She's on a spit. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, Trelawney makes a move to approach her and clumsily runs into her suitcase, like Trelawney does. Yeah, that's a thing for her. Yeah, it's kind of like the running gag. I do love the idea of somebody who can see who can't see. (laughs) And she's always talking about having the sight and then bumping into shit. Yeah, it's pretty great. It's a sight gag. It is. And who doesn't love a good sight gag? She sidesteps the luggage and begins tripping over her words instead. She's crying that Hogwarts has been her home for 16 years and this is some fucking bullshit. And I don't blame her. No, that whole thing just absolutely suck and I really do feel bad for her in this moment. And I don't know if that's to say more about Emma Thompson's portrayal or the character itself. Because I don't remember feeling this bad for Trelawney in the book when things go down. Mm, It just made it sad. It turned it sad. I did feel worse for her in the movie than the book, I think. Yeah. Umbridge at this point holds up a piece of paper and tells Trelawney that it just fucking sucks to be her, basically. And just before the tearful teacher can break down completely, McGonagall swoops in to hold the seer to her tartan-clad bosom and gets ready to lay down the smack. 
and this is definitely the smack, mm-hmm. but not as much of the smack no. as we should have gotten. Oh, no. This was a disappointing smack after the book smack. Definitely. If you compare it to the book smack, you're not going to like this smack at all. However, for movie smack, it's pretty smacktastic. I'll give it that. Yeah. The um bitch starts the challenge, asking McGonagall if she's got words for her. And Minerva's just like, uh, yeah, I've got quite a few, and they're all four letters long. Well, one of them has 13. 13 letters, Pepto bitch mal I counted. Of course you did. Anyway... Unluckily for us, Dumbledore chooses this moment to make his dramatic entrance, cutting short what was sure to be a high-key catfight. No doubt. At least some semblance of some of the smack we got from the book. Right? A moment or two. A, a, a crumb. Something. But Dumbledore just simply tells McGonagall to take Trelawney back into the castle. Not a word otherwise. And super grateful Trelawney just thanks Dumbledore and grabs his hand and like kisses his rings and shit or whatever she's doing. Sobbing. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And that was, I'm sorry, it was so heartbreakingly delivered and I loved it. But, it was. But yeah. So McGonagall walks her past him, goes back into the school and you're just like, yes. That's right. Yes. Suck it. That's right, um, bitch. Mm-hmm. And... Umbridge, though still speaking calmly and haughtily, has a fire behind her eyes that's just like, this motherfucker is going to test me. And she starts to remind him about all the rules that she just made up. Right. You know. But Dumbledore is having none of that, and he cuts her off, reminding her that she can, yeah, she can totally shit-can his teachers. Sure. But she sure as shit can't unhouse them like that. Bitchmall makes every sign that she's just had an idea short of an actual light bulb flickering over her head. Or a Lumost one. Uh, yeah, that too. And not at all cryptically, just says, for now. Gee, what's she going to try and Gee, do I, next? I wonder what step number 28 is going to be, hmm? And I don't like this part, but Dumbledore glances around in an almost like, oh shit type of way. Like, the fuck are you going to do? Like he didn't see that coming. Don't get me started, Katie, because I, I also don't like this at all. But we will end up talking about it a little bit more yeah. when we get to this section in the book chapter. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so he just looks around and then he turns on his heel and he's like, okay, peace out. I've done my part. I'm just going to head back in the castle. I got some shit to do, you know. And he shouts at all the looky-loos around him that they need to fuck off right quick. <laughs> so undumbledore like mm -hmm. Don't you all have some studying to do? Uh, Even his voice is just so... Urgh. Dumbledore does not show that kind of emotion. He also does not take that kind of thing out on children. For real. Ugh. I just... Mm. We'll definitely address this more when we yeah. get to it actually happening. Mm-hmm. And at this point, everyone begins dispersing. Big Dumbledore scared the shit out of him. Right? And they're making their way back to mind their own goddamn business. Except, of course, for Harry, who makes a straight beeline for the headmaster, shouting his name to try and get his attention. To be fair, that is kind of Harry's business. Well, yeah. But you're still not wrong about him not minding his own business. No, he never does. But Dumbledore at this point does everything short of straight up sticking his fingers in his ears and just going, la, 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 I can't hear you, I can't hear you. What? The phone is ringing in my office? <laughs> exactly. And he just makes his own beeline for anywhere that Harry Potter isn't. Once again, leaving a confused and lonely little guy even more confused 
and no less lonely. Like, yeah. And this definitely corresponds with chapter 26. What chapter are we on now? This is 15. So it came a little early, huh? Just a little. Just a little bit? Kind of disappointing. Happens to all movies, I hear. Yeah. In addition to it being, you know, 11 chapters early, (laughs) it also has some more definite differences that, like I said, we'll talk about more when we get to that chapter and go over it in more detail. Mm -hmm. The rest of this book chapter definitely gets referenced in the movie, but... Does it though? Yeah. Does it though? I mean, again, I'm stretching to make it fit together. That's what she said. But there are a lot more details included. And when the movie does refer to it, it's minimal and kind of just combined with the next section. So basically, I think if we had to explain this, it would be the book is like a nice slow I'll make love to you type of When you want me to. Yeah, exactly. I'll hold you tight, baby, all through the night, everything. Whereas the movie is just wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Exactly. Just no foreplay. Yeah. Anyway, the book chapter brings us back to more of Harry's detentions. Mm -hmm. It really only kind of focuses on the one from that night. Yeah. When, again, Harry gets back and it's nearly midnight because she's a fucking Pepto bitch mall who cares nothing about her students' education. At least not Harry's. At least not Harry's, for sure. And this time, his hand is bleeding so severely that it's just completely soaking through the scarf he's wrapped around it. Ew. Just ew. There's just so many things wrong with this on so so many many different levels. I can't even... Ugh. And because it's almost midnight, he expects that nobody's going to be awake when he gets back. And it's actually pleasantly surprised to see that Ron and Hermione waited up for him. Aww. And to make it even better, Hermione made a concoction known as the essence of Mertlap mm-hmm. for him to soak his hand in that actually eases the pain and just soothes everything for him. Yeah. So she just gives him this small bowl of yellow liquid and says, it's... A solution of strained and pickled Mertlap tentacles, which sounds Mm -hmm. awful, but apparently it helps. There is a lot of questionable things in the realm of medical wizardry. Yeah. But you know what? If they work, they work. If they work, they work, and it seems Mm -hmm. to work. So he sits down, puts his hand in the solution, and immediately feels relief. And then on top of that, Crookshanks also like weaves around his legs and jumps up in his lap and curls up purring because cats absolutely know when you need to be comforted. Well, especially Crookshanks. Yeah, Crookshanks as in part Neasel definitely would mm-hmm. know. And apparently this year they're going to learn about that. So what? That's not how it happens in the movie, but we'll get there. Yeah. But Harry thanks Hermione, and then Ron's just like, you should really complain about this. And Harry's just like, no, I really shouldn't. (laughs) And Ron tells him that McGonagall would be furious if she knew what was going on. And Harry's just like, yeah, she would, but how long would it take for another decree to be passed that fires anyone who complains about Pepto-Bitchmall? Right. We gotta work smarter, not harder. And Harry is already struggling with that because he keeps losing his temper. So Mm -hmm. at least he can kind of think clearly when he has his hand in essence of Mertlap. Yeah. His only logic is that she can't technically fire him. Right. But she can fire anyone who tries to help him. Exactly. For sure. So. And because that's somewhat logical, Ron can't think of a response at all. And actually, Hermione doesn't even have anything to say about it. 
she just ends up focusing on how awful this woman is. And she says that I was just talking to Ron about how we need to do something about her. Mm -hmm. And I'm also very upset we didn't get this golden line right here when Ron says, I suggested poison. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Ron is me. (laughs) He's so great. Oh, thanks. Sure. (laughs) Well, you just said Ron is. Yeah, I'll let you have that one. Yeah, I'm Ron. I'm great. Yep. But anyway, we got so much slapsticky hilarity from Ron. Like, much Mm -hmm. of it was very funny. But this was just hilarious. Yeah. But anyway, Hermione's just like, I mean, I'm not going to say poison isn't a good idea for (laughs) Pepto Bitch Mall. Not no. But I actually meant that we need to do something about what a dreadful teacher she is and how we're not learning anything from her. Yeah. And Ron's like, well, what the fuck can we do about that? (laughs) Sorry. I don't know why that hit me. It's so funny, but it just did. Well, I'm out of ideas. <laughs> I'm Ron. <laughs> and Hermione's just like, like learning it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Which... So Harry's like, how the fuck are we supposed to do that? And Ron's like, why would we do extra work? We're already behind on our work. Because this work will be fun. Will it, though? Actually, it does. We'll it, get to I that, mean, too. It's always more fun to learn stuff when you don't have, have to. to. Yeah. When it's not being pushed on you right you know and then even crazier hermione says that this is more important than homework what and everybody's just like pod person pod person pod person what's (laughs) happening harry potter and his best friend who's a pod person right harry pod person (laughs) (laughs) but hermione reiterates like no it's like you said we have to prepare ourselves for what's out there yeah this shit ain't going away right and again, Ron's like, what the fuck are we supposed to do about that? And <laughs> there's not much that they can do for themselves. And Hermione says, you're right, which is why we need a proper teacher. And Harry, not being Ravenclaw Mm-mm. and totally being oblivious and clueless to everything that Hermione implies in any way, shape or form, mm-hmm. just says, well, if you're talking about Lupin, I don't see how he could do that. And Hermione's just like, of course, I'm not talking about Lupin. He's way too busy with the order. Sir. So Harry's just like, well, who do you mean then? <laughs> and Hermione says, Harry. Sweetie. Baby. Honey. Pumpkin pie. Muffin face. I mean, you should teach us defense <laughs> against the dark arts. Oh, I see what you're saying now. (laughs) Except he just thinks that Hermione's messing with him. And he actually turns to look at Ron in exchange. What he expects is going to be an exasperated look. But just finds his other best friend just like, oh, that's a good idea. Like, yeah, we should do that. And now Harry just thinks that they're fucking with him even more. Right. And it's just like, what are you talking about? And Hermione says, yeah, you're the best in the year at Defense Against the Dark Arts. Look at everything that you've done. And Harry's just like, what the fuck have I done? Sir. Because Harry's not a Ravenclaw. No. And Ron says, I don't know that I want someone this stupid teaching me. Because <laughs> Savage. Yeah. And he actually does list off that Harry saved the stone from you know who first year. Second year, he killed the Basilisk and got rid of Riddle. Mm-hmm. Third year, he fought off a hundred Dementors at once. Fourth year, he actually faced you know who again and escaped. And Harry's just like, it sounds great when you say it like that, but it was all fucking luck. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I just 
people helped me. I got lucky. I survived. It's not like, what do you even expect me to say here? And they're both just like smirking at him. And he full on caps lock Harry at this point. Mm -hmm. Like he loses his shit and he basically just snaps. And he's just like, don't you be sitting there grinning at me like you know better and think that I got through all of this because I'm brilliant at offense against the dark arts. Like I blundered through this. Yes, but sir, half of the best witches and wizards made it through on blunders. And they learned from those blunders. Yeah, well, Harry's definitely not thinking logically at this point. Because he just like jumps up, throws Crookshanks off his lap, breaks the bowl of Essence of Mertlap, and just starts screaming at them. He's telling them that they don't know what it's like. They've never had to face him. They think it's just a bunch of memorizing spells, but there's nothing between them and dying. It's just Mm -hmm. whatever, like your brain, your guts, just whatever. You get lucky. And he says that they're sitting there acting like he's just some clever boy because he's still alive. And Diggory was stupid, like he messed up. Which is not what they're saying at all. It's not. And Harry is just completely having a meltdown. But Mm -hmm. he feels like they're not looking at this the right way because he feels like the only reason why he survived is because Voldemort needed him and didn't choose to kill him. It's not like Diggory had even a moment to try and defend himself. He was unexpectedly murdered. Yeah. Now, granted, they weren't there for that, and they have no idea how it went down. Mm -hmm. All they know is Harry has done a lot of fucking awesome badass shit, and they want to learn from that. Yeah. But this absolute meltdown that Harry's having, of course, just completely takes Ron aback. And he's like, I was not trying to have a go at Diggory, man. Like, yeah, that was not my intent. And he looks at Hermione. He's just like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? I mean, that escalated quickly as fuck. They're just like, hey, you'd be a really great teacher. And Harry's like, fuck you. I don't know shit. Right. (laughs) But Ron has no idea what to say. And Hermione just very meekly is like. No, this is exactly why we need you. You know what it's really like to face him. You know what it's really like to face Voldemort. Mm -hmm. And this, at least in the books, is actually the first time she ever uses his name. Yeah. And I think the movie kind of fucked that up for us because... Entirely. They had her make the comment, which was, I think, Dumbledore's line about how fear of a name. Yep. In the second. Yeah. It implied that she was never really afraid of saying Voldemort. Whereas in this moment, the fact that she chose to say it really kind of shocked Harry into calm. Yeah. It was significant. Yeah. But like I said, it calms him. And he yeah. sits back down and immediately wishes that he still had the Mertlap essence. <laughs> Damn caps lock me. Fucking, right? sh- fucking my shit up. And Hermione knows better than to bring it up again. But she just says, will you think about it at least? Mm-hmm. And Harry actually agrees, although he's so muddled in the head. He's not really sure what he's agreeing to. He just nods. Yeah. And at this point, Hermione says she's going to bed and tries to return to a normal sounding voice instead of the quiet like. Please don't yell at me, Mm -hmm. boys. And just tries to sound natural and say night. And then Ron gets up and wants to know if Harry's coming too. And Harry's just like, yeah, I will in a minute. I just want to clean this up. So Ron leaves and Harry uses Reparo to fix the bowl. But that's all he can fix. He can't do anything else. And he's just sitting there like, damn it, caps lock me. (laughs) And he really just wants to fall back in that armchair and sleep there. But he makes himself get up and follow Ron upstairs. 
and proceeds to have a whole bunch of horrible dreams where he goes down long corridors and finds a whole bunch of locked doors. And then when he wakes up the next morning, his scar hurts. Like it does. Right. Yeah. The closest we get to this currently being corresponding is that the trio are, in fact, in the Gryffindor common room. Ooh. So there's that. Ding, I guess. All right. Ish. But what happens after that doesn't really correspond with this section of the book chapter. So... No, this is actually where the movie corresponds with the back half of chapter 14 when Sirius appears in the fire to respond to Harry's letter. Yeah. Why give us things in order? That's dumb. Disorder of the Phoenix. (laughs) So we join the trio in the Gryffindor common room as Hermione is bitching about Pepto Bitch Mall and her megalomaniacal educational reform. You know, like you do. Right. Ron and Harry nod along sullenly until they catch Fudge's voice over the radio. So Harry turns up the radio just at the right time to hear that the Ministry is pulling one from the vault and using Sirius Black as their go-to scapegoat in the latest string of disappearances. Which does actually reference something in the book, but again from later on. Yeah, exactly. Speak of the devil himself, though, Sirius then uses that as his entrance cue to pop his head into the fire while quietly calling Harry's name. Yeah, and again, it is sort of how it happened in the book. There was no radio thing going on, but... It's a thing. It's... Yeah. Yeah. I can't even get that. It just... It (laughs) happens. We've hit the point where we're just like, yeah. Yep. But the trio all thank their chosen deity that they are actually alone right now, because that would be super awkward if they weren't. And Harry asks the obvious first question, like, what the fuck, dog father? The hell are you doing here? And Sirius is just like, well, I didn't feel like writing, and this felt much safer somehow. 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 Though, why Sirius even felt the need to respond to a letter about the weather and little else is beyond me. Because in the movie, there was nothing. That letter was shit. Yeah. So he just asks how Pepto Bitch Mall is and if they've begun inducting them into the half-breed termination league yet. And, you know, what's going on? Right. And like I said, this is similar-ish to the book in the sense that they do have this conversation. Mm-hmm. But the movie made it more about this conversation and completely omitted the fact that Harry wrote Sirius predominantly because he was concerned about his scar hurting when Embridge touched him during detention. Yeah. Which didn't happen in the movie, obviously. Yeah. But beyond that, in Book Dogfather's general petulance, Mm -hmm. the conversation they did include was pretty spot on. Like, it wasn't like they changed what they put in. They just left so much out. That it was kind of weird that it was even brought up. Right. Yeah, Harry tells him that it's even worse than that. She isn't letting them use magic at all. She's a shitty teacher. And just look at my goddamn hand, man. Except he doesn't even do that part. No, he doesn't. Because he won't. Can't give her the satisfaction. Right? Sirius is like, well, that's no surprise since Fudge is a paranoid fuck who doesn't want y'all to be able to fight back when shit goes pear. Ron incredulously asks if he's expecting some kind of student uprising, as if that's so far-fetched at this point. (laughs) And Sirius is just like, uh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty much. Homeslice is getting more and more paranoid by the day, and there doesn't seem to be an end in sight. I really wish they had included the part about it being a matter of time before Dumbledore's arrested on some trumped-up charge. Right? It would have fit in just perfect right here. Yeah. That's the moment it was written for, for fuck's sake. And it would have set that up nicely. Hello? Uh Uh-huh. 
Instead, Sirius tells them that he shouldn't tell them this thing that he's about to tell them, but he feels that they should be told that the Order isn't doing stellar right now. Like, between all the fake news and the disappearances, he's getting some mad deja vu. Which is not how it happened in the book. No. Since they tend to portray the Order as being more on top of things this time around. Mm-hmm. Also at this point, Harry was asking about the article that Percy referred to in his letter. Which the movie obviously couldn't do since it admitted that shit completely. Yeah, and Harry also asks about Hagrid missing and gets not very reassured that he's Mm-mm. probably fine. Yeah. He should have been back by now and no one can get in touch with him, but no big. Yeah, which, again, the movie didn't do since barely any emphasis was placed on Hagrid's absence. Because why? Why? Sirius just says that Voldy's making moves and Harry asks what he can do. But before Sirius can answer, however, they hear footsteps and Harry's dog father pieces out before they can even say anything else. Which is extremely different from how the book had it. Mm-hmm. When he tells them that he wants to meet them in Hogsmeade and acts like an absolute toddler who's been told no when they point out how dangerous that could be. Yeah. And in the movie, the trio moves toward the window and just stare forlornly. Yeah. Thunder and lightning add an ominous tone to the scene as Hermione asks if he's really out there. But before Harry can say, yeah, no shit, she just makes a decision and says bitches gotta do what bitches gotta do. So two things here. Number one. This is the moment where Hermione really accepts that he's out there, not, right, right? you know, when Harry came back and said that he was out there. That didn't make any sense uh, to me, but yeah. This is also the closest that this section gets to them telling Harry that they think he should teach them defense against the dark arts, especially with the way the camera just focuses on Harry for a yeah. while. She's like, we must do something, and then it just focuses on Harry, and that's all we get until right? it's happening. Yeah, then the next thing we know, it's just, you're in it, right? basically. But bits of the conversation that they have about it in the book will end up in the next movie section. So we'll talk about it a bit more then? Yeah. Anyway, they all look at each other, and before they can all put their hands in and say, go team, the scene just ends. Yep. And this is the end of the movie section and book chapter. Mm-hmm. Kind of lines up. At least they're in the same place, even though some of the same things didn't happen. Kind of, sort of, maybe. But it'll bring us to our new and returning actors section, which we really just wanted to talk about Emma Thompson as Trelawney here because we kind of put that off since she didn't do a ton in the montage. She had a really like sentimental moment here. She did. For her to make you feel something for Trelawney, it was kind of amazing because she's been so bumbling up till now. You're just like, oh, she's just fodder. That's all she yeah. is. I mean, I don't know that I would say amazing because I felt bad for her in the book, too. I just felt even more bad in the movie. Yeah. But in the movie, there was just something about her face that was just heartbreaking. Oh, Emma brought it to life. Absolutely. She did. The waver in her voice and just she did so well. Yeah. She's incredible. Mm hmm. And all of her other Trelawney, like even that deleted scene that we were talking about in the Great Hall where she's like just randomly being just fucking Trelawney. Yeah. There's Emma no Thompson other way to describe is it. She's amazing. She's incredible. I loved it. She did some good work there. Yeah. We mm-hmm. love her. Yeah. But that'll bring us to this week's Potter Pondering, which is do you think that Harry's previous experiences against the dark arts were just luck or was there actual skill involved? Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. Don't forget you can also stitch your response on TikTok. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing them. 
This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Callista White Wolf. She writes, Hi, my name is Callista White Wolf. I'm a 23-year-old gal from Wisconsin, and I've taken the official Sorting Hat quiz four times in my life. Made separate accounts on Wizarding World. I got Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, Gryffindor again, and then Gryffindor again. So I consider myself as a Gryffindor as it aligns best with my personality. As per my most recent results, my wand is Hazelwood, nine and three quarters inches, with a dragon heartstring core and unbending flexibility. My Patronus is a Tonkinese cat, which is a crossbreed of a Siamese and a Burmese. Harry Potter has always been part of my life ever since I was a toddler. My mom became a huge Potterhead when the first book came out and later introduced my siblings and me to the series through the first couple of movies. She then went on to read all of the books to us when we were old enough to appreciate them, answering every excited question we had along the way. My mom was a theater kid, so she did all kinds of voices for each of the characters. My favorite of which was Dumbledore's, and she had a lot of fun with it, despite it often making her voice hoarse. She has first edition copies of every book and even brought us with her to attend the midnight release of Deathly Hallows, and I got to try Birdie Bot's Every Flavor Beans for the first time. My brother picked a rotten egg flavored bean, and I ended up choosing a vomit flavored one, which nearly had me vomiting. Thankfully, I was saved by a blueberry bean. I have always loved Harry Potter and have never enjoyed a fantasy story's premise more. It is my absolute favorite. My brothers and I grew up watching the movies come out and even got to see a few of them in theaters. My favorite thing to do as a kid was to play pretend as the main characters with the boys. I was always Hermione and the older of my brothers even looked a little like Harry. My favorite book is a tie between Goblet of Fire and Order of the Phoenix and my favorite movie is a tie between Prisoner of Azkaban and Half-Blood Prince. If I could attend Hogwarts, my favorite class, not teacher, would be potions. I love Snape, but I don't think I'd like having him as a teacher, especially as I'm in Gryffindor. My favorite character by far is Fred, followed by Dumbledore, and then Snape. Imagine my horror when I found out that literally all of them die. On February 3rd, 2022, I decided to purchase and binge all of Jim Dale's versions of the audiobooks, and between then and now, I've listened to the series nine times in a row, never tiring of it. A few weeks ago, however, I decided I wanted to listen to something new to mix it up, so I searched Pandora for Harry Potter podcasts and found this one. I was instantly hooked. I love your voices, the humor, the chemistry you share as friends, and thought the idea of a compare and contrast podcast was intriguing. I still haven't caught up to where you are now, but I wanted to submit my Sorting Hat story in advance, just in case you guys finish before I can catch up. Thank you so much for starting this amazing podcast, and for always being so welcoming and interactive with your keepers. I can't wait to hear more. Aww. I know! You're adorable! Thank you so much for sharing your Sorting Hat story with us, Callista. Yeah, thank you so much! And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else that you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media. This week's trivia question is, how much does Harry pay for three butterbeers at the Hogshead? The first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word hashtag shoulda got fire whiskey will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes. 
If you don't have an Apple account, then you can write us a recommendation on our Facebook page at FoxSakePod. Make sure to email us at ForFoxSakePodcast at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at FoxSakePod. Following us on Podbean at foxsakepod.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at forfoxsakepodcast.com to check out our For Fox Sake and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Everything has been switched over. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. For now, we're going to have two separate accounts until we either get all of the videos transferred over or figure out how to merge the old with the new because YouTube does not make it easy like everyone else does. Yeah. If you would like to support us as a patron, you can sign up on patreon.com slash foxsakepod. $2 and up a month will get you some awesome perks like For Fox Sake swag, access to patron-only Facebook groups, chats, our Discord channel, virtual hangouts, and more. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated, even if it's just telling your Harry Potter friends about us. And if you don't have any Harry Potter friends, there's another reason to join our Patreon, because you will meet some of the best Harry Potter people ever. I mean, just the best people ever, really. There's that too. Period. End of sentence. And join us next week when we talk about the first half of chapter 16 in the Hogshead and the somewhat corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. And in the meantime... Keep calm and Harry on! Oh, for fuck's sake. Mm-hmm.